Hey, it's another day. It's another day to turn to the word and be encouraged, be motivated as we look to scripture. I've had a few weeks, um, I guess you'd say I had a few weeks off <laughs> when, it, when it comes to this part of our gathering. So it was a nice little break. Um, I enjoyed some time down with the family, Megan and the kids down in, in Florida um, at Disney and Universal. And I got to tell you, I mean, it brings back memories. I was blessed enough to um, have ventured down there when I was a kid with my parents. We were in Disney World for the 25th anniversary. And so this time we were there for the 50th. So I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. You know, God does things and um, blessings through, um, you know, so many people. And so thank you for the time we had away. Um, you know, there's something, and Isaiah said it last week, and so I pivoted a little bit because I didn't want to repeat, you know, have kind of a similar sermon. But originally my title was Wonderland. Never lose the wonder of the relationship that you have in Christ. It truly is a wonderland. And I was thinking that when I was at Universal. And I remember walking up to one of the rides, E.T. And it just hit me, like, like deja vu kind of feeling, where I'm like, I feel like I've been here before. I was here before, you know? And it took me back to the time as a kid going through this ride with John and my dad. Mom, I don't know if you went on that ride. I don't think you did. I don't think it was something for you. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember going on this ride and you can hear the theatrical sounds in the background as you're walking through the, you know, the forest leading up to the ride. And then the ride starts and I'm there watching my little son Jackson and he's so excited, right? He's three years old and I'm thinking this could either be really good or really bad. And he's, you know, big smiles, just, ooh, what's that? You know, and when we, the bike takes off and you're going through the forest and there's like a, a it looks like a police car comes up in front of you and the bike's like, you're moving around and he loved the whole thing. And for me, it was so exciting to experience that ride again. And yet that much more wonderful looking at the wonderment on my child's face as he enjoyed that ride. And we got off, I said to my son, because it's something I say to him, like, my son. I go, my son, <laughs> we enjoyed the same ride, the ride I went on as a kid. And he's like, Dad. and I don't even remember what he said. What he said just took my breath away. But I knew that Jackson and Kennedy and even Megan enjoyed that ride. And it was just a, a wonderful time. And it was after that where Megan and the kids went on another ride on their own and I had time to, you know, replenish myself with some from, uh, water and I just started thinking about this wonder, this wonder when we go to theme parks and it captivates our attention. And for me, I like to pick those pieces, how it relates to our faith. And it got me thinking about our relationship with Christ truly is wonderland. It is a wonderful relationship that we have. It's a relationship that has, you know, along the way we get our bumps and bruises. When we try to follow the narrow path, it can be difficult at times for what Jesus calls us to. And yet it's a wonderful calling. Today I want to ask you a question. Who are you giving glory to? Who are you giving glory to? I think this, this message, this theme as we look at uh, uh, 
times a difficult subject and yet will be enriching and motivating for us is the area of idolatry. I couldn't help but think, you know, when you go to a theme park and you see all the wonder, you start to idolize the things that have been created. You, you're enamored. There's this awe in the wonder of what you're experiencing. It's very similar to life. There's things, created things of our fellow mankind that are made and we can get lost in those creations. We can get lost. We can be enamored by it and thrown by it, if you will. And so today I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm believing today that you'll be encouraged, challenged, of course, but also motivated in asking yourself that question, who do I give glory to? What are my motivations when I wake up and I go to work and the conversations that I have? Here we're going to see in this chapter that Paul is setting a scene of kind of what it's like to be at a dinner party and how to interact with one another while still honoring Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. I'm reading from the CSB. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go and eat, eat everything that is set before you, without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is for sacrifice, do not eat it, out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. And here's the key piece where he ends it. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. There's a lot that you can pull out of this exhortation, this teaching, this encouragement. I think you can see this picture that Paul has painted for us. They are at what we like to call a dinner party. They're hanging out and there is food. Thankfully, when you go to a dinner party, there should be food at the table. And so he's given this reminder, you know, when you go, make sure you eat what's put before you. But, you know, don't overanalyze things. Don't, don't get caught up in things you really just shouldn't be getting involved in. 
And so he's encouraging us as he was encouraging those in Corinth because the believers in Corinth, as we just look at the backstory for a second, is Corinth is on the southern tip of Athens, just off the Mediterranean. It's a busy seaport. There's people coming from all walks of life. People are coming there. There's a lot of um, you know, multiple worship of different gods going on. They're not um, you know, involved in monotheism, of worshiping one true God. They worship many gods. And so Paul is also aware that believers have come out of this environment. Many of them have paid homage, have given their life in worship to these so-called gods. And so he knows that some, by coming to faith in Christ, have experience of freedom from these practices in this way of living. Their minds are no longer defiled and following after the ways of the world or pleasing these false gods. And yet there are also those perhaps at the table who do not have the same Christian liberty that they have. You know, all of us, I think you would say, even though we're all in Christ and we believe in Jesus that we're at different places in our faith journey. Some of us here today might be able to say, you know, I believe in the power of faith that God heals. And yet you might be in the place where you say, you know, I believe God healed at one point, but I'm not so sure about today, but I'm willing to change my mind on that. There's different places where we come to the table. And here we see in this interaction that Paul is encouraging the believers to be aware of those who are at the table. We all have a different level of consciousness. So one of the things I like to do in, you know, reading a part of scripture or any textbook for that matter, is to look up some definitions. And the word conscience, by definition, speaks to an inner voice. An inner voice that guides rightness or wrongness. Right or wrong behavior. So he's saying, be aware of these conscious, the consciousness of people and what they deem to be right and what they deem to be wrong. Look how he sets up the very beginning. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. There was a thing in, in, for the Jewish people of that of being kosher. Kosher is synonymous with the, with the word acceptable. There were dietary laws that were given, we see in Leviticus, of, of how they were to go about consuming and preparing food to make sure it's acceptable. It was kosher. And yet in Christ, Paul, through chapters 8 up to chapter 10, is telling them that things have changed. That everything that God has created is good if it's consumed with thanksgiving. That through Christ, you've been set free from obligations of the old covenant are now set to free, live and alive to God. And so as we keep those things in mind, with this sit down that's going on the table, he's, he's encouraging them not to use your freedom to hurt the other who's at the table. 
Now, this is a difficult situation, and we're going to come back to that, but all of us have been at the table where we get into conversations, and sometimes if you're thinking alike, that's an easier conversation to have. Maybe it's with politics or whatever it may be, but when you realize that the person at the table doesn't think the same as you, uh-oh, it gets a little uncomfortable. Here, Paul's giving us a really practical application of how to keep the peace. Now, first, let's go back for a second here and look at the aspect of idolatry. We've established that it's an excessive amount of admiration and worship towards anyone or anything other than God. I think we'd be in agreement on that. And so if that's the case, he's emphasizing what has already been told to them by God himself. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Here Moses tells us, do not have other gods besides me. Verse 23, do not make gods of silver to rival me. Do not make gods of gold for yourselves. Rather, make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings your flock and herds, and I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. And as I was pulling up these these scriptures, the end part of verse 24 here, I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. How wonderful it is that when we hold his name in high esteem, when we desire to give him, him glory above everything else, he promises that he is there in that midst and that he will bless us. You ever notice when you have a conversation with someone and maybe a lot of things are going wrong for them? Now keep in mind, the enemy of our souls is wreaking havoc. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And yet, we have a part to play in how we align and who we align with and what kingdom we serve. And so this passage of scripture in Exodus, verse 24, is telling us that when we honor the name of God and his name is to be holy, that he will bless us. And so if scripture tells us in Hebrews that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, would this not also apply in the new covenant? God is still to be honored and to be given all the glory. He's not to be rivaled by idols. And so Paul is making sure that we make no mistake that he's not saying that we give a pass to idol worship. He's just saying, be aware of who's at the table. Be aware where they're at in their journey. And this is something that speaks to me because I want the name of God to be blessed. I want the blessing of God in my life. And so I most definitely don't want to partner with darkness. I don't want to partner with any idol worship. And yet... I encourage myself, I encourage you, we can use, we can exercise the mind of Christ to be aware of who people serve. Be aware of who people served and building them up. Look how he says again in verse 23, after he says, everything is permissible. He says, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. You know, there was a point in time Kind of like the Wild West. Now, understand, I'm going to try and say something a little humorous, okay? So just a disclaimer there. 
There was a time where I could feel like I, I got to get on my horse. I got to strap the, you know, the Winchester, you know, rifle in the back and go, start, go out gallivanting around the countryside and start shooting some truth around the neighborhood. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you doing, especially to Christ followers? What, what are you guys thinking? What, what, are you guys nuts? Like, why would you partner with things and lifestyles and things you have no business partnering with? And yet this passage speaks to me. It's not the Wild West. <laughs> we, have the, we have the Holy Spirit that, yes, speaks through us and softens hearts and is going to use our, our testimony and how God has set us free from different lifestyles and choices. And that's going to rub off on others at the table. But you can be most assured, if you put a sour taste in another person's mouth right from the get-go, they're more than likely not going to listen to you. And this is something, this is some seasoning, you know, that, you know, I remember one time my brother and I were chatting outside one night and, you know, and John's a very diplomatic person, probably because he's a physician and he's learned how to be very diplomatic. And, um, you know, and it's, it's important to take stock of the people you're interacting with. And so I'm just blessing you, bro. You, ha you have that skill. You have that, that uh, anointing on your life, actually, <laughs> to be able to discern situations and, and keep the peace. Look what we're told here in Exodus, again, 23, verse 13. Pay strict attention to everything I have said to you. You must not invoke the name of other gods. They must not be heard on your lips. You must not invoke the names of other gods. They must not be heard on your lips. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When Jesus was being tempted by Lucifer, remember what he said to him when he took him up to the highest point and said, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Everything that your eye can see. And he said, it is written, you shall only worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That can kind of be a tough pill to swallow, even for me, because there's things in my life that I've idolized. I'm big into sports. I love hockey. There's probably points in time where I've idolized my own hockey team. The Penguins. You idolize champions. You idolize people that you want to take after. I know you like that, buddy, but um, <laughs> we idolize things, don't we? And it hits home. And here, as you're looking at this interaction with Paul writing to the Corinthians, it's a great practical example of how we interact with people at the table. We realize that there's idol worship. We realize there's things that are shady and those things are going on, but there's always a time and place to have those conversations. And if we're focused on what builds people up and that we're, our main goal is to glorify God, we will partner with that which brings glory to God and therefore will build others up. If we're focused on what brings glory to God, we will also build others up. And so my walking point for today is this. We have identified the problem. Idolatry is a clear and present threat. It's not something that we read in the chapters of Scripture and say, hey, Brad, man, they really, they really had it tough. Thank God we don't struggle with that today. <laughs> it's, it's in our culture. This practice happens 
today. People admire and, and worship their own creations, even lifestyle choices. And I'm going to allow you to fill in the blanks. I'm not going to name specific parties or groups, but you can imagine how people take the word of God as we're told and they twist it and they distort it in order to please their own agendas, to please their own senses, to gratify. What's it say? The things of the world are less of the flesh, less of the eyes, and the pride of one's own lifestyle. Here, Paul is not telling us or the Corinthians, you need to affirm lifestyle choices. He's just saying, beware who's at the table and ultimately bring glory to God. And so we have this clear and present danger. There's been this distortion, this misleading account of people saying, hey, it's good. It's all good. It's all good. But idolatry can be this vehicle that demons will use to steer us off path, to change our focus. Isaiah touched on this last week. Graven images have no power. They're representing a force. But demons will absorb that worship. They will direct people to worship them, to steer people away from worshiping the one true God. We see that happen with, you know, idols in the music industry. I mean, my goodness, at one point I was like, man, I wonder if people could ever get excited and, and uh, you know, in church or worship or, or those kind of things. And yet you go to a concert and like a Justin Bieber concert, people go fanatical over a man. And not putting beebs on the spot or anything like that. Just saying we elevate people to this place that they don't deserve. For God, in his word, he says that I am the one true God. And so we have the problem. Let's look at the remedy. Whatever we do, we need to do it to the glory of God. Again, look at verse 33. Oh, verse 31, sorry. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. And you love how he ends it off. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because you could take that and say, why? Well, I, I need to affirm everybody. I need to please them and build them up by acknowledging and partnering with what pleases them. That's not what he's saying because look how he wraps it up. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look what Jesus said. Matthew 22, verse 33. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he, another part of scripture, he says, love others as I have loved you. When we're focused, I believe he's really, this thrust, this effect of the theme is when we're focused on bringing glory to God and loving him and serving him only, everything else will follow suit. We will honor and serve others appropriately. But when we are focused on subjective thinking, we will get caught up in idol worship. We'll get caught up in worshiping the things of people's identities. And the reason why I believe this word has been so, you know, entrenched on my heart is each week, I kid you not, each week, there's very tough questions that I am asked 
pertaining to lifestyle choices, and a lot of it is coming from believers. Having loved ones that are engaged in lifestyles where you would you look to scripture and say, yeah, it's not appropriate. Thankfully, we have, we're saved by grace through faith, and yet we're not to partner with those things. But then you'll hear stories, and I understand, because we've been given a sensitive heart to, to reap for people, to desire for them to come to Christ. We want to befriend them. And so it's tough. And so I hope that you're encouraged as we're looking through this interaction that Paul is not saying to us it's going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But again, we're focused on doing what builds up. We'll be focused on being less combative and, and more focused on bringing the remedy in the right ways. Romans 1, verse 27 to 28 says this. It's um, a go-to part of scripture for many. I'm sure it is for you when you're looking at the matters of the world and how things are shaping up. Why why do these things happen? Whether to believers or especially unbelievers. Says this in Romans 1, verse 27, that men, in the same way, left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another and committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so they would not do what is right. This, this very aspect of engaging in that which we definitely know is not holy and pleasing, but a way that is destructive and even distortion in life, this isn't caused by God. This is not his penmanship. This is not his authorship, if you will. That ship is the ship that we create for ourselves. We set sail in those things. And yet Paul, again, is showing us that when we give glory to God, we can rest assured we're not going to partner in those things. It's not like it's going to sneak up on you and be like, oh, who bit me? It's like that commercial on television back in the day. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember what bank uh, put this commercial together, but it was genius. It has something to do with uh, credit and such. But they had this song, you know, hands in my pocket, hands in my pocket. Anybody remember the commercial where there's a guy sticking his hand into the guy's pocket? You guys remember that commercial? Anybody? If you have, just raise your hand. Come on. (laughs) Thank you. There, there, is a, there are spiritual forces at work that are, are seeking and plotting, scheming with the Father of lies to drag us, to, to pull us into things that we otherwise should not go. And yet my encouragement for you, as I've said to myself, when we're focused, as Paul says, to bring glory to God, we will not be carried away into those things. Sure, we're, those areas, they're going to maybe make us a little upset. It's called righteous indignation because the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's like a lighthouse, a light beacon. Watch out for those rocks, Isaiah. Watch out for that wave. Watch out for that undertow. I really believe Paul is showing us here that there's a way to interact. There's a, there's a way to honor God. There's a way to build people up. And that's by being focused on doing what glorifies God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. And love others as I have loved you.
And so just to wrap things up, let's look again at what he says in verse 26. He says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You know, like you, I'm immensely thankful that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit that says, purifies us from a seared conscience, that we can come boldly before Christ in his throne of grace, and we can truly want what he wants. And yet why I believe this, this message is so timely is because the world around us is shaking, as the scripture says. There'll be a great shaking, a coming to Christ, and also a great falling away before he returns. So what we're experiencing right now, these conversations at tables, it's like a dress rehearsal. It's a dress rehearsal for the day, the day of the Lord. And it's not to be a dreadful thing for those who are in Christ. Right? Scripture says fear has to do with punishment. We're told in 1 John, but those who have been perfected in love do not fear. Because we're in Christ. We know who we serve. We know whose hands that we are firmly secure in. And so we have this reminder. I love how um, in Revelations, John reminds us. He says to the, the faithful elect, the saints of God, to stick to the course. Let's go to Revelations 21 for a moment. And actually, just actually looking at uh, Revelations 14, verse 6, he talks and says, And then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce the inhabitants of the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another, a second angel, followed saying, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, there is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for endurance for the saints who keep God's commands and their faith is in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. 
There's a lot that's happening in this proclamation by these three angels. To sum it all up, that if we are marked by faith in Christ, we have been marked with the promised Holy Spirit, a seal that we will not come under judgment. We will not experience God's wrath, and yet his wrath is present. His wrath is real. His holiness is uh, certain. And so there's the encouragement that the writer says here. This calls for endurance for the saints. So you can, the reason why I'm sharing this is that it is a dress rehearsal. It's not a Christianity of affirmation to say, you know what, I'm going to let your truth be your truth and let my truth be my truth. And we're all going to meet at the same location in heaven one day. If the word of God is true, that's not what it says. Not all paths lead to the kingdom of God. Just like the saying, not all paths lead to Rome. When in Rome, people act like Romans do. But as Christians, as members of the family of God, the body of Christ, we are called to live as Christ followers. It can be tough. Sometimes it can feel like a battle. But when we're sitting at the table and we're focused on giving glory to God, we can rest assured that we bear his name. We've been marked with a seal, that we're secure in his hands, and he's going to take care of business. He's going to move hearts. He's going to transform minds as we are sensitive to the leading and drawing of the Holy Spirit to speak through us and when to speak. And I really believe right now is a, the great dress rehearsal. There's been a dress rehearsal for many years, brothers and sisters of the faith and ages past. But now we're seeing probably even more so that we really are called now to endure, to persevere for our faith. And so I encourage you today, don't let this be something of, of doom and gloom, but rather of a rejoiceful outlook that Christ is coming back and he's coming for his bride, of which we are of the bride. Stay true to the path, stay true to the course. And he says, behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what they have done. Think about those words. As the worship team comes, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to take communion because it is so fitting. When we think of the words, all that Christ has accomplished, that he, he overcame sin and death in the grave. And so if he did that, he surely is above every other self-appointed God. And so we know he's coming back. We know that he's going to come back, as the scripture says, with great glory and honor and with his holy angels. And so I'm going to encourage you to uh, grab your communion cup if you have it with you. I believe they were being handed out uh, as you were coming in this afternoon. And by the way, just to uh, add before we uh, take these emblems, if you have any questions, if there's something, you know, preaching time, there's only so much time and there's things that myself or, you know, Isaiah or others may share and, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we may have, jokingly say, we might have a Freudian slip or whatever you say that. We may misspeak, but I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. 
as you read through the scriptures, say, come Holy Spirit, speak to me. Lead me in the way that leads to life. And you'll never go wrong. You'll never go wrong. And so as we look at these emblems, we're declaring that there is one true God. We're told, Paul wrote to young Titus, and he said, to our mighty God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared, teaching us to say no to all unrighteousness and ungodliness and to live holy lives as we wait for him. And so as we wait for him, the Apostle Paul said that he received these, this instruction from the Lord on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took and broke bread. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Imagine for a moment, I'm gonna invite you just to close your eyes for just a second. Imagine that broken body, flesh and blood, like our flesh and blood, taking our place on the cross to free us from every obstacle of sin that leads to death. And the scripture says in Isaiah 55 and 53 that his body had to be broken so that we could be made whole. And so that broken body on the cross was for our wholeness. And then shortly after, at that same table, at that same meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said that this cup represents my blood that is the new covenant that has been poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so just for a few moments, I'm going to invite you without any other instruction to receive these emblems that symbolize his broken body and his shed blood on the cross and encourage just for a few moments to reflect on that, to give him the glory that Jesus deserves. Thank you, Lord.
thank you, Lord, for your word that encourages us, truly reaches into our atmosphere and transforms. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement and exhortation of your word that whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we're to give glory to you. Lord, as we have taken these these emblems that signify what you did at Calvary so many years ago, Lord, we proclaim you are the mighty God and Savior that overcame the grave. And so that we too, like you, will be the first fruits because of our faith in you, as your word says, that with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then all who believe in you will be caught up together with you in the air to be with you evermore. Thank you, Lord, that you took the punishment that we deserved and took it upon yourself in your body and through your broken body that we truly can walk in victory as you walk in victory out of that grave. Lord, I also thank you, Lord, because of your shed blood, it says that by your stripes, we are made whole and healed. And so, Lord, I know that there are those here today that are going through situations. Whether a physical ailment in their body or a battle in the mind or in the soul, God, I thank you, Lord, you can reach in those non-physical parts of our very being, the very fabric of our consciousness. And God, you can align us. You can stir us. Just as you can heal our bodies, I ask that you would heal each person that is here today and watching online. You will reach in by the power of your spirit and bring wholeness, bring restoration, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you can align us to think and want what you desire of us. Lord, in free worship, that we will truly align our hearts and our minds that glorifies you. Help us, Lord, as we call upon you to give us the strength of endurance, the strength of perseverance, and the calmness, Lord, in how we share and speak when we're with those at the different tables that we find ourselves at. Whether with believers, unbelievers, Lord, we want to be like Paul to be a blessing, Lord, to please others in a way that we meet the ultimate goal that they too shall be saved. Thank you that your word, Lord, says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we're mindful as you've declared so clearly in your word. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be safe. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. Lord, forgive us. us from all unrighteousness for 
you intercede for us daily on the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not hold back in presenting the way of grace, the way of atonement for all of us. Thank you, Jesus.
times and they never grow tired of hearing. That when we call upon you, Lord, you are mighty to save. You never grow tired of us being in your fold, being in your family. But you, you call us to walk in your ways. beyond all compare the light that is coming in fullness as your word says that we are children of God now and that what we are we will fully see we fully realize when we see you as you truly are when you return and so God we look forward to that day we look forward to seeing you on the clouds and to calling us heavenward moment in time, God, thank you that you enable us in our spheres of influence and spaces to be your shining lights, to be your ministers of the gospel, to bring good news. Help us, Lord, to have the boldness to know when and where to share at those tables all the many areas and things that you have led us out of. And may we be like the believers in Thessalonica whom Paul encouraged. He praised them for they turned away from their idols and turned to serve the true and living God. Thank you, Jesus. May you be glorified in our each of our lives.